Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon. This is Dean Finelli with Politics and Life Science Radio, where we talk about all the issues in the life science industry and the politics that are captivating the country. I'm very excited today to have as our special guest, Mr. John O'Neill. He has a new book, nationally best-selling author, John O'Neill, The Dancer and the Devil. Uh, We'll talk to Mr. O'Neill in a few moments. Let's see what's going on in the world, though. Uh, President Zelensky continues to make his... uh, Appearances throughout the global bodies, most recently at the United Nations, where he gave really another fiery speech, uh, really defending democracy and uh, challenging the UN to to help out more. You know, we know the uh, the West, um, to a large extent, the U.S. has provided hundreds of millions of dollars in aid and weapons uh, to the Ukrainian people, uh, but. We still see their struggle. Uh, the most recently we saw today, uh, there was a story about innocent people at a train station waiting to be evacuated uh, that were bombed. So far, we've heard about 35 people were killed in that, uh, and that number is likely to rise. So, just what's going on in Ukraine, you know, when you think it's so horrific, what we saw in those first few weeks, every day that passes it just continues to get worse. Uh, the Russian military and all the way up to the top just seem to be indiscriminately bombing. And President Biden has been uh, very vocal recently calling these war crimes and saying that people, especially Vladimir Putin, need to be held accountable. Now, it'll be interesting uh, to see how that works out. Uh, You know, most people don't think, uh, at least in the short near term, that that will happen. But uh, it's nice to see that we're starting to hear this momentum a few even just a few weeks ago, uh, it was a little bit taboo to even bring that up. But now I think uh, because the president is starting to be a little more vocal about that, we're hearing a lot more uh, Western countries. And, you know, the fact of the matter is what's going on there is just undeniable. I think when you look about look at the social media aspects of this, uh, you know, the reporters that are on the ground there making sure the world sees this, uh, you know, you really kind of scratch your head and you have to think what are what is Vladimir Putin, what are the Russians thinking? And, you know, what are these other countries thinking that aren't condemning this? And, you know, their silence. I mean, we, we've heard a lot of um, countries out there that, you know, you would, any country you would expect to come out and just condemn what's going on. However, you know, we're hearing countries that are just saying, you know, general platitudes of, you know, wars are bad and we have to stop the war and, you know, other uh, really not very specific comments like that. So, uh, it's just a horrific situation going on over there. It continues to get worse. 
you know, even with the peace talks they're having, they just seem to be more, um, you know, not having the results that people had hoped. And when we look at, you know, even the effects of, you know, how the, the Russian army is almost failing over there, uh, I think that's leading them to make even these terrible decisions of just, you know, firing indiscriminately at innocent people and bread lines. We've seen some of these children and uh, adults that were just basically slaughtered, obviously not military personnel, just innocent civilians that the Russians are slaughtering. So uh, just a shocking, uh, shocking event that continues to happen over there. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, we, you know, in the U.S., uh, there's a lot of, we talk about a lot of arguments that we have cultural differences in this country. Um, you know, that's bled over into a lot of um, the vaccine information, a lot of that misinformation that we've been talking about for the last couple of years that's been out there uh, is really starting to have a dramatic effect on the U.S. Uh, the U.S. life expectancy dropped again for the second year in a row. And of Western developed countries, uh, you would expect the U.S. to be, you know, one of the leaders in uh, life expectancy. However, we're five years at this point behind some of our uh, Western peers. So, you know, and a lot of that is attributed to uh, the effects of misinformation, people not wanting to get the vaccine, people being afraid to get the vaccine uh, because of misinformation. But we're seeing the direct effects of, of that now. So really, um, it's it's a shame that this has to happen. You know, if you don't want to get the vaccine, that's one thing. It's certainly a personal decision. You know, we heard of mandates, but to just not do anything. And, you know, we have people that don't want to get the vaccine that also don't want to wear masks, et cetera. We know, we know that the highest risk people are over 50, uh, over 65 people with comorbidities and younger people are a lot less uh, likely to have a severe reaction or uh, die from it. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I think it was reported recently that there's about 10 million deaths globally that are attributed to the uh, COVID virus. So, uh, this is just really um, just a, another tragic event, uh, but we continue to kind of move forward. And, you know, on this program, we try to provide factual information to encourage people uh, to make an educated decision. You know, when we look at everything that look back at what happened over the last two years during the pandemic, you know, even our government officials, you know, politics got into this. We heard people saying, you know, I would never Trump test or excuse me, trust the Trump vaccine, obviously you know, that was just not helpful. And we've seen the effects of uh, on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, statements that were made that were being made uh, continue to sway public opinion uh, when it comes to these issues of trust in government, trust in the FDA, trust in our institutions. So, um, you know, that this now leads into our guest today, who's uh, really an expert when it comes to uh, communism and these uh, the propaganda machines that Marxism has. Uh, I'm very happy to bring on our guest, uh, Mr. John O'Neill. Uh, he has a new, he's a national best-selling author with a new book, The Dancer and the Devil. Uh, Mr. O'Neill, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Dean. And, and before we do anything, I just want to express my sympathy for all the people murdered at that uh, rail station in the Ukraine. That's one of the worst things that I've ever seen in my long life. It's really shocking. And, you know, that's I think that says something uh, coming from you with with your background in Marxism and everything you know about communism and putting that into a historical perspective. When you say that's one of the worst things you saw 
it's it really it's very compelling about how just tragic that is and what's going on there. Why, you know, when you look at this regime over there and you compare it to you know former communist regimes, is, is this? This seems, you know, maybe because it's modern day, but this just seems what's going on is not something you would expect to happen in the in this century. It seems like something that you'd expect to happen, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. But to see the indiscriminate uh, killing of these people is just shocking. Where do you how do you line this up when you look at other uh, communist dictators that you've explored in the past? I think it's really important to understand Putin's background. Putin's uh, grandfather was the cook and the taster for Joseph Stalin. Uh, Joseph Stalin killed at least 8 million people in the Ukraine in 1931 to 33. He, he killed, for example, all the uh, musicians in the Ukraine in 1931, called Kobars and banned all their songs. Uh, his father, Putin's father, was a KGB exterminator in the Second World War, whose job was to follow the Red Army through the Ukraine, shooting people in the back of the head. And so when Putin talks about denazification of the Ukraine, he's a chip off the old block. Understand that the Ukrainians were Cossacks, they were farmers, they were herdsmen, and they were terribly treated by the Russians in the 1930s. They lost six to eight million people, and they don't want to be enslaved again. And so that's the backdrop, the historical backdrop. And to Putin, this is just human material, Ding. You, you and I are just human material. And so kill... 30, wound 100 at a rail station, so what? Kill little kids, women in Buka, so what? It's just losing some human material, some subhumans that haven't been trained properly. And that's literally what you're dealing with. The same mentality as Hitler, the same mentality as Joseph Stalin. We're still discovering in Russia, uh, and they have been discovering graveyards with as many as 400,000 people buried anonymously in a graveyard from the 1930s. It's just shocking when you when you in the U.S., you know, I think we've you know, we kind of it seems like take democracy for granted. And this, you know, seeing the Ukrainians fight for their freedom, hopefully, you know, it's hard to say what all, the effect it will have, but hopefully it will reinvigorate, you know, democracy. I mean, over the last few years, we've heard, you know, the rise of these democratic socialists and, you know, people on both sides of the aisle, you know, throwing out name, name calling, calling each other communists, Marxists, fascists. You know, when you when you see what's going on in the Ukraine, do you think it's a it would be a lesson to you or a reminder to the U.S. and our politicians that, you know, democracy is fragile and it needs to be protected? Absolutely. The, the oldest saying in the world is he who abandons the good in search of the perfect ends up with the very, very bad. Marxism promises the perfect. It delivers the very, very bad. It delivers oppressed slave societies with people like Stalin or Mao or Xi in charge, living wonderfully and controlling all the actions of everyone. And directly in your field, this guy, uh, Putin, you know, being runs the largest bioweapons program on Earth uh, at Saratov and at other locations that we've identified. Um, of course, he was called in Russia Vlad the Poisoner before he was called Vlad the Mad. Uh, when he took office in 19, uh, in 2000, his mentor was a guy named Slobodan. Slobachev, and Slobachev, who was the mayor of Leningrad, at that time Leningrad, was asked, who is Putin? What is he like? And he said, Putin is the new Stalin. Two days later, Slobachev and both of his bodyguards all had heart attacks, simultaneous heart attacks. So you're dealing with a, a very heartless, uh, cruel poisoner in the, in the 
heritage of Joseph Stalin. Yeah, and when we hear about what's going on there, you know, the, the poisonings that are going on um, and the, you know, even our the American basketball player that's being held there, you know, you got to feel for her because, you know, she's basically a political pawn over there at this point. But when you in the U.S., going back to, you know, what I was mentioning earlier, we hear these, you know, people, these democratic socialists saying, you know, the U.S. pushing the U.S. to be more socialist and you know, 10, 15 years ago, that would have been disqualifying for probably or maybe even more recent than that for a person to run on that type of platform. You know, why do you think that this this rise in this socialism and this this type of mentality in the U.S. is it seems dangerous to me. But what do you think it's attributed to? A lot of it, Dean, is they just haven't seen it before. It's like the, the images in uh, Boca and, and we'll get images from the rail station are so shocking to people because they haven't seen a whole lot of people killed at the same time. Uh, when I was in Vietnam, I saw a lot of people killed at the same time. And it changes your actual view of things. You realize the horror of totalitarian powers and really for all their terrible frailty and all the things wrong with them, what's great about, about a democracy you can vote the vote the bad guys out if you don't like them, whoever they are. And uh, I think, sadly, people have forgotten that. And if there's any good effect, and there aren't any, of the Ukrainian war, it is exactly that. It has shown people exactly how a horrible totalitarian power operates. When you see, when you look at Vladimir Putin, how does this, what do you think the end game here is for him? Does he... You know, we heard Lindsey Graham saying, you know, someone in his country needs to take him out. You know, I mean, what you look at what's going on, the country is basically going bankrupt. You know, even now the Europeans are uh, trying to divert away from using Russian oil as quickly as they can. Uh, the U.S. has put, you know, crazy sanctions on Russian. We just heard on uh, Vladimir Putin's daughter's sanctions were applied. Uh you know, what's what's going to be the end result here? Are we going to see Putin fall or is is he do you think he'll remain in power? I don't think the oligarchs have any real power over Putin. They did help to put him in power in 2000, but I, I don't think they control him at all right now. And I think China is the backstop. They're going to buy all of Russia's oil. They're going to provide financial support. I, I, I hate I like to take you back a little bit. 1953, according to Professor Joseph Jonathan Brandt at Yale and many others, uh, Joseph Stalin ran the Soviet Union, and he was actually preparing for a nuclear first strike on the West. Uh, he actually calculated that Russia would lose 25 or 30 million people, but they would still survive. And in connection with that, he intended to, to have a purge of all of his underlings. Beria, Molotov, Khrushchev, they were all going to die. Well, what happened is uh, Beria poisoned, without going through it, and it's described in, in the book, The Dancer and the Devil, Beria poisoned Stalin with Lofren and killed uh, Stalin. Four months later, Beria himself was tried, and he kept saying, but I saved you, I killed Stalin. And the death of Stalin probably saved the world from a nuclear war. And I think with Putin, his risk and the reason he sits at the end of long tables away from his generals and, and away from everybody else is his risk is his security apparatus. His actions are now sufficiently mad that you may get someone maybe with a breath given bio war uh, trying to kill Putin. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it remains to be seen what's going to happen, but it's really, you know, you scratch your head and you think, you know, he's not only is he killing Ukrainian indiscriminately, but the effects that this is going to have on his own people uh, with all the sanctions and uh, everything else that's going on there just seemed to be a disaster of an endgame for him. Um, I understand you have a, a new book out, uh, The Dancer and the Devil. Uh, can you describe a little bit uh, what your new book is about? Yes, what we do is do, the dancer and the devil take specimen cases of Stalin of uh, poisoning. Stalin began a um, operation called Laboratory One. It matured into large bioweapons laboratories in the United States and in China, which I believe ultimately resulted in the leak of COVID-19 from the Chinese military laboratory, the parallel laboratory in Wuhan, China. And what it does is simply take the, the development of those laboratories and some of the people they murdered, starting with the great uh, ballerina Pavlova discussing the case of Lenin, who uh, symposium at the University of, of Maryland concluded that Stalin had probably poisoned, and through many other people, Wallenberg, the uh, great savior of Jews in Hungary, uh, who was used as a test rat in the laboratory, a uh, whole sequence of other people into the Soviet period, when the Soviets started what was called Project Enzyme, the largest bioweapons project ever begun on Earth. It continued, was discontinued, and then began again in the Putin years as a huge uh, project that Putin brags about, into China, which has 14 massive bioweapons labs. And I discuss in your field a little bit the, the development and origin of the COVID-19 virus, its antecedents, you know, in the horseshoe bass, the arguments one way and the other, uh, I conclude that it was a created virus. It wasn't a natural virus, that it, it came from a, a natural virus out of the horseshoe bat, and that it was altered uh, to make it a more significant weapon. As to how it leaked, I don't claim any knowledge. I think it was a mistake. I don't think it was intended. I think it is possible, very possible, that it tracked exactly what happened in China in 1977, which was it leaked during vaccine trials. In uh, 1977, a virus appeared. It was a flu virus. It went all over the earth. People were perplexed because it was exactly the same virus that had spread worldwide in 1955. As you know, viruses mutate. It's like Dean of 19, you know, 60 and or Dean of 1970 and Dean of today. It can't be the, can't be the same. They change. And so this virus showed up exactly the same in 1977. People claimed it had been preserved in a uh, laboratory in China and had somehow gotten out. The Chinese denied any knowledge. In 1994, the head of the Chinese vaccine program said, yeah, fellas, I'm sorry. We were having vaccine trials to develop a vaccine and just it escaped. And that's how it all came about. He was killed not long after that. There are various medical journal articles reciting uh, this fact, I think it's very likely that the uh, COVID-19 virus that the Chinese were developing uh, vaccines, a bioweapon requires vaccines. You don't want to get your own guys sick. You, you just want the other guys sick. I think they were probably developing a vaccine. And I think because it's so asymptomatic and so unusual, it probably escaped then. Um, it, I think also that because it's an artificial virus, this has contributed to it being so hard to need, needing to change vaccines constantly as the bug mutates. Uh, of course, I'm pro-vaccine, as I, I think you are. I've had two vaccines and a booster, and I still ended up getting COVID-19, 
cured by the GSK monoclonal antibody. But I, I think that the artificial nature of the virus probably contributes to its rapid mutation. Looking forward to reading the book. Uh, this is Dean Finale on Politics and Life Science Radio with our guest, Mr. John O'Neill, uh, talking about his new book. If you haven't uh, heard about it, uh, check it out, The Dancer and the Devil. Uh, really sounds very interesting. John, thank you so much for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. It was really just a great discussion you had. And very, I learned a lot. Uh, appreciate you providing that insight to me and to uh, our listeners. Uh, all the best. I'm glad to hear that you overcame the uh, infection. I myself as well had the two shots, the booster, and wound up getting COVID uh, about a month and a half ago. So I know kind of it's not a fun experience. So in any event, I uh, wish you all the best. Good luck with the new book. And check out John O'Neill's new book, The Dancer and the Devil. Thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. This is Dean Finale, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.